This is episode six. You're listening to the All Hazards Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to give you exclusive access to emergency managers who've been on the front lines of some of the nation's most difficult challenges. Where we have candid conversations about the challenges facing all emergency managers, no matter how big or small the community. Here's your host, Sean Boyd. Every so often we hear about a hiker who gets lost, or maybe even an elderly person who goes missing from a campsite, or a family who doesn't return from a trip to the snow. We've all seen those stories on the news, right? Well, when that happens, search and rescue teams are dispatched to the area to look for them. So today, we're going to hear from California's top cop for search and rescue missions. He's the state's SAR coordinator. What kind of new and emerging technologies are being employed in California? Hey, and how are they being used? We'll talk about that and show you as well. And can you imagine why a SAR team would turn down the military for help on a SAR mission? Believe it or not, it happens. We'll hear all about that and more, this time coming from the floor of the Cal OES State Operations Center, also known as the SOC. We had to pull our guest away from training right now. Well, for today, we are here in the State Operations Center here at Cal OES headquarters in Mather, California. Some people might know it better as Rancher Cordova. I'm here with uh, Deputy Chief Matt Sharper, who is the, I'll let you say it. California State Search and Rescue Coordinator. There you go. Now that sounds like a big responsibility. Tell me what, it, what is required of you. Well, basically my role and responsibility as a state SAR coordinator is I'm responsible to 58 county sheriffs and three exclusive jurisdiction national parks and as well as every uh, piece of state and federal land that we have in California where somebody could um, get into trouble, get lost, go missing, become injured, or what have you. Um, the jurisdiction for search and rescue rests upon the sheriff in each of the 58 counties except for exclusive jurisdiction national parks. For them to accomplish that responsibility, they can come to me through OES law enforcement branch and through our duty officer um, operations and request resources to affect the search and rescue, whatever it may be, from helicopters to dogs to jeeps to ground pounders, anything they may need, our role and responsibility is to get it for them and it's, and it's considered search and rescue mutual aid. A lot of resources uh, that you're responsible for as well, helping to coordinate. Tell me what it's like for the last 16 years, you said that you have been uh, with the state search and rescue uh, program. How busy have you been and, and what has that been for you? Well, search and rescue is the busiest mutual aid system within OES. Every moment of every day, there's a SAR occurring somewhere in California. In the law enforcement branch, we have what we call duty officers. And our duty officers, 24-7, 365, and they're available to um, answer the call for mutual aid, whether it's law enforcement, search and rescue, or coroners. That's what we're responsible for. As a search and rescue coordinator, my job is just to make sure the search and rescue program through our duty officer program is, is working smoothly. So as a SAR coordinator, I'm responsible for policies and procedures. I'm responsible um, to make sure that things are running smoothly and the administrative levels. Okay, now uh, recently, you've had a number of uh, folks from around the state 
come into our headquarters here. You're talking to them as well as others. They're all talking. What are you guys talking about? Well, what we do, and we this is a process we started in 2002, and we call it the State Search and Rescue Coordinator Sessions. It's where we invite 58 sheriffs, their SAR coordinators, all state and federal cooperators, anybody in California that has a jurisdictional responsibility for search and rescue, we invite them here to the Mather headquarters and we have two days of sessions where we address any and all issues that may be before search and rescue. And it doesn't matter uh, whether it's a sheriff's issue, a state issue, or a federal issue, we address it collectively. And that way we're providing uh, the best service possible to the citizens of California at uniform. You know, we have a, a very high standard of care when it, and it pertaining to search and rescue in California and north, south, east, or west. And we, I'm proud that we're able to help facilitate that here in, in Mesa. Pride goes a long way. I would imagine, too, that you get pretty wrapped up. Um, not only in the, the, the logistical difficulties and, you know, all that of in, that's involved in a search and rescue operation, but also uh, emotionally, because you're, you're trying to save a life, or two or three. Um, tell me about how that has affected you, both professionally and personally. Well, I've been doing search and rescue for well over 35 years, and um, I came to the state from local government, and it's a little bit different when you're at this level, because you're more administrative, and while I believe that the process that we do here by providing mutual aid, providing training, providing the uh, venue for all the SAR coordinators to come together collectively, I believe we do save lives, yet we save lives at a, at a little different level, you know, by helping making the system better across the state, you know, so it's, we don't have that direct contact like the local governments do, the sheriffs, uh, state parks, national parks, and and what have you, but you know, yeah, we, uh, we take pride in the fact that I believe what we do does save lives. And saving lives requires equipment, the tools. Last night, you and I, we got to work with some pretty cool equipment, some tools that not a lot of folks get to use. Uh, tell me about what you enjoyed last night. You went up way up. Correct. You? Yeah. Well, what we did last night, the California National Guard um, has increased technology um, within air operations to, uh, to do night operations with night vision goggles, with forward-looking infrared, with all kinds of whiz-bang technology that, uh, that they have. And what they wanted to do was demonstrate that to the California SAR coordinators to say, this is what's available. When you have somebody missing, when you have somebody lost or in trouble, you know, this is a resource that they can call upon um, to help find these people quickly, to help find them safely and, and return them home. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely impressive. The California National Guard is, goes above and beyond in assisting, you know, uh, local governments, and, and they put on a, a pretty good presentation last night. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, what was striking to me was not just about the technology, but about the fact that there are a lot of agencies throughout California that don't realize that this kind of technology is available to them, that the California National Guard can come in, help them, even after the sun has set. Correct. They've actually been turned away when they've offered to help because certain commanders, incident commanders, didn't know how to utilize their skills. 
Talk to me about that a little bit. The old, the old time adage was after dark you don't fly because you have no horizon, it's unsafe. So it was unheard of. You know, when the sun went down, the aircraft went home. With technology available today, that doesn't need to happen. So what the Guard accomplished last night and what we were able to facilitate within this process is to educate the SAR coordinators that technology says you can do that. And as a matter of fact, when you do do that, the chances are greater that we're going to find our subject quicker and we're going to find our subject, you know, um, while, while they're still alive, you know, and hopefully rescue them versus be faced with the recovery. What did you think about the technology, the night vision goggles? It, I was impressed. Yes, it's, it's definitely impressive. Um, this is technology that they're using, you know, in the, in the Middle East right now, and Afghanistan and Iraq to, to fight our war, wars. And, and so now they're using the technology to help save lives, you know, on a, on a, on a little different level. That individual, that, that lost person, the, the elderly Alzheimer's walk away or what have you. So it's, it's, it's impressive technology. It really was. The fact that they can pretty much, it was almost pitch black out there, right? And so we, we put the goggles up to our eyes and all of a sudden we can see everything in detail. That was incredible to me. But also what was incredible was you were flying in a Lakota. We flew out in the Chinook, but the Lakota had a FLIR technology, which is a heat infrared kind of style of, of night vision, if you will. We were watching a monitor looking at what you were looking Correct. up in the sky. Tell me about that technology and how that allowed you guys to do what you needed to do. What, uh, what we did last night is there were various platforms, as you, as you know. There was a Chinook, there was uh, two Blackhawks, and then there was the Lakota. And the Lakota being a much smaller, more nimble aircraft. And it had the technology um, to do what's called video downlink. So uh, we were flying at 2,000 feet above ground level while the Chinook, the large helicopter, and then the two Blackhawks were doing multiple hoist operations and, and search operations. And so what we, what we were able to do from 2,000 feet was observe the entire operation by the use of the forward-looking infrared and uh, other technology such as, as laser technology and as well as the night sun. So yes, what we were loitering, as they call it, at 2,000 feet watching and basically directing the entire operation on the ground. So we were out of the way of, of the, the simulated rescue, the, the hoist operations, but at the same time we were video linking down everything we were seeing in the Lakota. The, the, the infrared images were being, being transmitted to the ground so the incident commanders on the ground could see exactly what was happening from 2,000 feet up. So is this what would happen in a real life scenario? Absolutely. Yes, if we had one, uh, something that was technical enough to where we needed the multiple platforms, needed that high aerial platform, and then allow the, the rescue ship to conduct the rescue, absolutely. And especially in a situation where communications would be limited, um, the Lakota is capable of receiving multiple different frequencies, multiple different channels, linking them together and, and, and putting them back out so everybody's speaking the same language and on the same channel. So beautiful thing. What would you tell other state SAR coordinators um, who are, you know, facing some of the same challenges that you face day to day? What would you tell them to uh, help get ahead of the game? Well, the states are, are all set up a little bit different. I mean, we're fortunate that the state SAR coordinator here, myself, we're underneath the governor's office and part of OES, and it's a very detailed, organized 
uh, program, and it worked very well, very efficient, very effective. Other states, the SAR coordinator may be the National Guard, may be with state police, may be with, you know, as, as in the East Coast, it may be a fish and wildlife or, or a forestry department, so they're all set up separately. My advice to every other state is to get the jurisdictional responsibility, the agencies together, the agencies having jurisdictional authority, as we do here in California, and um, work together to overcome any search and rescue problem. Because anytime we do it independently, you know, one county does it this way, and the national park does it this way, state park does it this way, you know, it's n we're not doing the right things for our citizens. We need to come together collectively, make sure we're using the latest standards of care, make sure we're using the latest technology as we just talked about. You know, that's my advice to them. Bring them together, bring your, bring your local governments together. So I may have gone out of order, but tell me about the challenges that you and some of the other folks in your program face day in and day out. Well, the challenges we face, and uh, uh, this is kind of a reverse technology that we just talked about, um, right now available to the public is devices that are called PLBs, or personal locator beacons, and SEND devices, satellite emergency notification devices. And what these basically are is satellite devices that hikers can take into the backcountry, and when they get into trouble, where there's no cell service, where there's no other services available, and they can push a button and it sends a satellite, a, a, an SOS or a 911 message that says, I'm in trouble. And those messages come here to Cal OES, and then we in turn have to figure out which county it's sounding in or which national park it's sounding in, and then uh, de deploy the appropriate resources to conduct a rescue you know, that local government to deploy them because we just coordinate the responses. We coordinate the, the activations. Now the problem that, that we're experiencing is there's so many of these devices out there and the people that have them, they're using them when they shouldn't be using them. In other words, they're taking risks that they shouldn't be taking, relying on that device. If they get into trouble, all they have to do is push the button and the government comes in and pulls them out of the situation and it's free, it's, on, it's based upon the, the tax dollars. So um, what we're trying to do is educate the public that just because you have this device doesn't guarantee you a rescue, first off, and second off, you have a responsibility to make sure you're trained, prepared, and equipped, and you don't take risks just because you have the device. Because every time that device is activated, we respond to them, and when I say we, I mean search and rescue in California, we respond to them as if, in fact, it's a true emergency until proven otherwise. And if it's not, in fact, a true emergency, then we're putting uh, search and rescue personnel in danger, and we're wasting taxpayers' dollars for nothing. So that's one of our biggest hurdles right now. So let's end on a high note. Tell me about one of your most satisfying rescues. Well, there are hundreds. I, I, to say any one particular, it, it actually wouldn't be fair because some of them may be back in my, my local government days and some was my, One of the most, right up there. Well, there's, there's been many, okay. let's put it that way. Right. But um, I can give you a recent one. And we just, it just occurred in Mono County where a backcountry enthusiast had a severe injury. He had, he had broken his leg severely and he was in danger of, of dying. Um, the weather conditions were such that, you know, it was cold, it was snowing, it was windy, and, and he's at, you know, 11,000 feet. If we don't rescue this individual, he's going to die, and he's severely injured. 
Um, Mono County Sheriff responded with everything they had, but they needed a little bit more, so they called for help. And so we start tasking resources, you know, helicopters to go in and see if we can get this guy. Um, California Highway Patrol and the United States Navy from Fallon tried to rescue this individual, individual but because of the conditions, because of the altitude, because of the winds, they couldn't do it. They couldn't safely get in there to rescue this individual. Yet the California National Guard, with the resource that you saw last night, was able to get in there with that brand new Chinook that they have. They were able to face the winds, hoist the injured in individual out, and get him to a, a hospital. And as a result, saved his life. And I'm certain without that resource, without the California National Guard, without the mutual aid system, he probably would not have survived. So that's, that's a recent one, it just happened, and you know, that's the highlight, that's why we do what we do. That's a hell of a win right there. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Matt Sharper. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, so we produced a video to go along with this podcast. In it, you'll see much of what we've been talking about. That rescue, training with the Lakota and Chinook helicopters, and those really cool night vision goggles. Awesome. So be sure to click on the link in our show notes on the website there, maybe even on your phone if that's where you're listening to it, and you'll get up close and personal with that training. It's incredible. You'll love it. So till next time, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. And give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook. And let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.